Another Way to Play, episode 106. If you love your employees more than they love themselves, if you will keep investing in them, then you don't do what's selfish and best for you in the business. You always do what's best for that person. And if you will have a life of doing that, don't worry, business will take care of itself because those people don't want to leave you. They want to come back and they'll give you a bunch of other people who are great as well. Hi, friends. This is Dr. Rob, the Robster, your daily dose of growth on Leader Tribe podcast. I do that with passion. But if you really want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play by my good friend and my business partner, Hans Strazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina, Olympic athlete turned top producing Bay Area realtor. I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Twice a week, I talk with other high performers to share the lessons and inspiration that allowed them to blow the roof off their success. So get ready to have some fun, be inspired, and most importantly, learn the skills you need to win in your own life. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Thank you guys for tuning in. You may have noticed that it sounds a little different, and if it's been a couple episodes since you tuned in, we are pivoting the content here just a little bit. Still going to bring two episodes a week with great thought leaders, business people, and others, but we are going to start talking a little bit more about mindset. Uh, One thing I've learned from all of the interviews I've done is that the people who have their mindset dialed in are often the ones who are succeeding. And so we want to dig in a little bit further on that stuff. Today is a really special guest and someone who fits that description to a T. It's Dr. Rob, the Robster McClellan. He is a PhD in leadership. He's a very successful business person and a business partner and friend of mine, someone who during his PhD thesis, wrote chapter two longer than most people's entire thesis. He's got a lot to say in this arena and has a great story to share. One of the things he's going to talk about is how he got hired onto the John Maxwell team to help them get into the final 25 countries in the world that they weren't in and how he succeeded on it, as well as how he got his grad school and his PhD sponsored and paid for and how we figured it all out. Plus some of the stuff he has going on now with me and a couple of our mutual friends specifically around Streamline Podcast, which is our podcast post-production company that is editing this show. So we talk about that towards the end as well. Really excited for this episode, guys. So before we get into it, just a quick reminder, if you're getting value out of the show, if you like the new direction, please leave us a rating and review over on iTunes because it really helps me get that feedback and grow the show to a few more people. So thanks in advance for that. And without any further ado, we're going to bring him in. Here is the Robster. Rob, my good buddy, the Robster. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hey, you're so welcome. I've been looking forward to it. And I've listened to your show for a long time, not quite since the beginning, but I'm totally honored. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. And the same is said, because you've got an amazing podcast, Leader Tribe, your daily dose of growth. Like, I love listening to that, queuing that up in my car. It's, it's a regular part of my rotation of podcasts. So the feeling is mutual. I appreciate that. 
Well, Rob, let's kick it off and give everybody a little understanding of what your Another Way to Play is currently. My Another Way to Play is nothing but delivering value, specifically for me, to younger people. I'm uh, 59. I feel like I'm 29. I'm loving life. But at the same time, with this incredible journey I've been on and starting from a really bad place and getting into a better mindset place, now at the place where I can take full responsibility for my life and I can do almost anything I want, there is no greater joy for me than helping other people get to that right space in their heads and see the things that they really hope to accomplish someday actually become a reality. I love that, man. Well, I mean, you've kind of alluded to it a little bit. You you had an interesting journey. So let's let's rewind the tape a little bit here and go back to where it started and and kind of walk through the journey of how you got into that place where you're taking responsibility and killing it in both the business world, but obviously internally in your mindset world. So take us back to where it all started. All started in Oroville, California. Unfortunately, my mom had issues. I was raised by a single mom, but she was married and divorced at least four or five times by the time I was in sixth grade. And those were actually the good times. Other times it was kind of a different guy every night because unfortunately at that point in her life, she was quite an alcoholic. And so she would just come home from the bars with a different guy. And that was sort of our life. I had two sisters at home. So I had to grow up a little quickly. I kind of became the defender in that sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having said that, what's really crazy, Hans, is when uh, I take psychological tests later in life and I do all this leadership stuff. And they'd say, tell me about your childhood. And I, I, I answer their questions. I think I had a happy childhood. Hmm. And so either A, I was in total denial or B, here's my deal. I didn't know it was bad. It was just my reality. We didn't live mm-hmm. in a nice town or the nice part of town. Everyone was dealing with something. So I was never depressed or I never played the poor me game and it ends up that helped me a lot later in life. Do you feel like at some point it ever dawned on you that you might have had like a weird or not normal or not healthy childhood? Um, And if so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, the thing that really I knew something was off is I was a pretty good athlete during those days. And the one thing Mm -hmm. I want to just give a shout out to right now is my coaches. But you can imagine a kid from that background, no dad or no guy who ever cared for him in the picture. Yet I, I was a four letter athlete in high school. And I had these coaches who would just kick my rear for me and they'd say, hey, knock it off. There's no future in that. Come on. And, and, and if I wouldn't have had that good, strong male influence in my life, I don't know mm-hmm. where I'd be. And so shout out to my coaches. But it was some of that because of that. What really for me, where I thought, you know, I am kind of messed up is my only goal was to be a good athlete and to be popular in school and to be popular with the girls, all the normal high school stuff. Right. And but I could never have anyone over to our house, anyone who actually knew the real me. It was a a point of shame and embarrassment. Mm. And I noticed other people weren't dealing with that. And so I thought something's really screwed up here. And that's where I kind of realized that there were some some challenges there. And maybe they even affected me and my desire to be accepted. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that version of it. So you obviously had this realization, but it sounds like it didn't hold you back from kind of going after your athletic goals and your dreams, as well as then obviously your academic pursuits and and professional stuff later. And then obviously the relationship you have with Don and all of that. So, so walk us through, you got out of high school, I'm assuming, 
good athlete, Mr. Popular, ladies man, Robster, you know, and then uh, where, where did we go from there? Yeah, wanted to be a better athlete. I was only really good and a leader in one sport, which happened to be golf. Mm. So it wasn't like I was a captain of the football team. <laughs> I was one of four white guys on the basketball team. One of us was really good. He was a starter. The rest of us sat on the far end of the bench, and I was the furthest away from the coach. Uh, but still, uh, I mean, it was a championship team, too, you know, and so. Yeah. Uh, just making the team was great. And part of it got me out of the house. But from there, here's really what happened. There was a, another hero in my life. Her name was Jane Hammer. She was my high school counselor. She called me into her office one day. I go in there and there's some men there with suits on. I'm like, what's up with this? And she said, hey, just tell them about what's going on at home and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, no, everything's perfect. Because I'm like, I don't want to be taken away. I didn't know what all this was about, right? Right. And uh, she goes, no, 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 that's not the deal. She thought this kid could actually make it in college. He needs to get out of here. If he could go to college, it would be great. These were men that she brought in and they interviewed me and I became a, officially a ward of the state. Still got to mm -hmm. live at home, still got to do those things. But now the state of California would pay for my education if I went to a state university. Wow. She took that on herself. Then, as soon as it was done, she brought me in. She said, sign here. I said, what is it? She said, it's your college application. I've already filled it out for you. Wow. You don't hear of things like that anymore. It's like someone should have made a movie out of her. She was one of those people yeah. who really cared, right? And, oh uh, and so that's how I got to go away to college. And it was in college, really, that I saw these life changes starting to happen. It's interesting because a lot of people talk about college, especially now, as being this debt riddled like party right mm -hmm. and yet you had this very different experience granted you grew up a little earlier than myself in college and the whole thing the prices and what have you were totally different but right what was it that was so transformative in those years for you well the first thing was when I got to college nobody knew me and so mm. there was not one person there where I had to have a sense of shame or guilt or if they really discovered it was like who you are is who you are and you got to start all over. And so yeah. for me, I felt like it was the first time I was competing on a level playing field, which I really enjoyed. But it wasn't long, Hans, until since I was on that field, I started to see some success with the girls and you know, becoming a pledge class president of a fraternity and stuff like that where all of a sudden I realized my life was all about trying to just kind of show off and get people to like me because of that. And uh, I started coming to realization, probably my second year of college, like, is this what I have to do the rest of my life? Cause it was kind of exhausting. And I didn't know anyone who really liked me just for me. And I don't think I liked me just for me. And so that's really where a lot of these things started to change and all of a sudden I thought this mindset's going to kill me. I just didn't know what to do about it at the time. Wow. That's really fascinating because I think anybody who, who ties themselves into, especially a sport, like I've talked about on this show for myself, but you know, any pursuit or any lifestyle like that can probably identify with it. So, and it's also kind of interesting that what, 19 or 20 years old, you had this realization. Most people kind of I'm assuming probably roll through 30s or 40s and have a midlife crisis before they right. figure this out, right? <laughs> That's probably true. My midlife came on a little bit early. Yeah. So what did you do about it then? One of the things, and I, I really don't talk about that this much, but I, I think I do live it, is 
I started wondering, could there possibly be a God? Is there someone out there who actually knows me or cares? And, and it was really for me, what it was looking for is I knew all this garbage in my life. I was popular and nice, but I knew some ladies I was talking to. I was only trying to get them into bed. And mm -hmm. I looked like I was trying to be nice, but I really wasn't. It was totally selfish. So I'm laying in bed at night. I had been stealing from my employer. Not just little things, you know, it was no big deal, quote unquote. I was a fraternity dude. And, and laying in bed at night, I knew that's not who I wanted to be. And I was just sick of myself. And I thought, I wish I could just be absolved of all of that. And so for the first time, I really started talking with some people I respected about the possibility of there being a God who could forgive even someone like me. The short story on that is I, I, I started pursuing it a little bit, and I finally heard somebody who gave a short, to-the-point, unbelievable, good, logical argument for the existence of God. I've always been kind of smart, and it made sense to me. And mm -hmm. so it's still a thing I had to do by faith, but I, I, I kind of said, hey, God, if you're really real, and if you could even forgive someone like me, I would want you to. And once I learned how I could forgive myself, I could be forgiven, all of a sudden I didn't have as much to prove and I could just go out and be me. And, and guess what I found out? A lot of people didn't like me, but guess what? A lot more didn't like me before that. I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and most people really did like me because I was just trying to be real all of a sudden. Yeah. It was not a uh, incredible spiritual transformation in one sense. But for me, all of a sudden, I could live with myself. And that's what gave me the guts to say, okay, then who do you need to become? What do you need to do? And start taking some risks and step out in faith because it was the leadership and the right thing to do rather than just trying to prove myself or show off. Stepping out of your story for just a second, like I think a lot of people have those moments when they're laying in bed or they're brushing their teeth or you know, some moment of mm -hmm. reflection. Mm -hmm. you know, mirror or not physically in front of them. But right. then they realize these things and like, ah, this isn't me. I don't feel good about this. But then a lot of times they don't do anything about it. So like you did something about it. Like, how did you bridge that gap? And what advice would you give to someone who's feeling uh -huh. something similar? You know, uh, just as an aside, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours recently, uh, Carl Sona. Mm -hmm. and uh, And Carl had the same type of experience where you know, super popular. He was the man. He was doing all this. But at the same time, he thought, that's not really who I am on the inside. And and so he just decided, I've got to do something about it. So he did that program, the hard 75, and just started oh, yeah, getting yeah. his mindset together. And it was just interesting to me that I don't mean to put myself in your league or Carl's league, but these great people, great leaders I know to see all of us at some time or another have had that type of conversation. So I think that's a, a really good insight that I haven't thought of as much, but I'm going to think of it more now that you made that insight. And so for me, the way that I actually was able to do it is I started doing things like, okay, then I want to be a person who studies hard. I want to pass classes, not because I have the test already from some fraternity brother, but I mm -hmm. actually want to learn. And I want to be the kind of person who takes responsibility for their own learning and truly that's the first time I realized I was really pretty smart. Mm -hmm. I had never really studied before. Most people, they read, they study a lot, they memorize, and they have to read things. I'm what's called an auditory learner. There's only 3% of us in the U.S. And it's where I hear something, and it's like, okay, it's in there. Mm -hmm. And so people say, 
do you want to study? And I'm like, what uh, about what, you know, it's almost like, and so I look at that now and go, man, I was lucky to be an athlete and to you yeah. know not study as much and to have that. But now I started studying. I fell in love with learning. Hmm. I just, I, I came alive. I'm like, Hey, did you know, and, you know, and as you know me, I, I talk yeah. too much anyway, but now I have all this <laughs> new knowledge and I was just going, this is fascinating. And I don't care if it was a computer science class way back in the day, you know, this was cobalt and things like that before mm-hmm. you were born. But it didn't matter if it was that or something in physiology or a chemistry, or uh, I remember one of the classes I took in geology where I'm like, are you kidding? And so I just really had an appreciation for learning. I'm going to say that more than anything else was instrumental in me becoming a different person because for the first time I realized you could actually learn about anything you wanted to learn about. And, and so now all of a sudden, everything in the world is a possibility. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was big for me. It wasn't until, you know, two decades later where I was doing PhD research for leadership that I found out leaders are learners. They're just lifetime learners. They're going to keep going. And, and as soon as you stop learning, you stop leading as well. And it will just drain away unless you kind of stay up on your game. Well, I love staying up on my game. And so I think that's why I'm excited about life now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that I was actually going to ask you, like, I didn't realize there was two decades in between college and the PhD. I thought that, well, I guess I didn't know, but I assumed because most people pursue something postgraduate immediately after college that I know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you took some time, got out into the world and then went back and started your, your PhD on leadership. Right. And so, uh, as you mentioned, I, uh, you mentioned my wife, Dawn earlier, Mm-hmm. And uh, truly, of all the women in the world, there is no one like her. She is far and above the greatest person I've personally ever met. And the fact that she would marry someone like me, I actually lose respect for her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, <laughs> yeah. she is awesome. We've been married 35 years. And, uh, and so, yeah, there was some life in between there. Right. It's just funny looking back on that. But I, I've uh, appreciated her all of my life. That's awesome. So what did that life in between look like for you? Because it's interesting that one would sort of graduate college, get into the world, and then go back and do mm-hmm. the deep dive on a PhD like you did. In mm-hmm. you know, you hear people going back for a PhD in, I don't know, engineering and chemistry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. brain this or that that I don't totally understand. Like, mm-hmm. but you went back to learn about leadership. I did. So in my second job, I had a boss. His name's Rick Porter. We're still friends to this day. I'm going to guess that was in 1990-ish. And he was the one who would, he'd spend a lot of time with me, but he kept saying, hey, Rob, you've got something, man. You, you owe it to yourself and to others to kind of invest more and, and, and get more learning in that because he was always trying to give me more and more responsibility you know, at the, in the workplace. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Because I knew it didn't come with any more money. I didn't Mm -hmm. get it at the time, but now I get it. If you have a sharp employee, you want to bless them. You want to use them. You want to help them. You want them to grow. You want to challenge them. And he was just doing that for me. He was the first one where I thought, well, maybe I should have a little higher, I don't know, not necessarily higher calling, but I had to apply myself more and take on some tougher assignments. After that, I had the opportunity to move out to the New York City area and lead an executive VP-ish almost level where 
it was going to be taking on a responsibility and I'd be in charge of 10 or 11 people and I'd be the youngest one there. And I'm thinking, yeah, no. And it was that guy who I was working for. He's like, no, if I need to fire you to get you to go, you need to go do that. Mm. Um, he was so interested just in me as a person. And that's one of the reasons I learned that if you love your employees more than they love themselves, if you will keep investing in them, then you don't do what's selfish and best for you in the business. You always do what's best for that person. And if you will have a life of doing that, don't worry, business will take care of itself because those people don't want to leave you. They want to come back and they'll give you a bunch of other people who are great as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you got this kind of push out of the nest almost into this, into this big, big boy league in this next position, which you weren't looking for, nor, nor did it sound like you wanted, but you kind of, here you go, go do it. Yeah, right? yeah. I think I secretly wanted it, but it was uh, still a little scared and insecure in some realms. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a Northern California kid, right? And also now you're, it's like New York City. You remember the old mm-hmm. commercial, get a rope, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. New York City, come on, what are you talking about? And so heading out there uh, was successful and it was there. I mean, it's just it's crazy how, you know, the universe does this. And, and I would say how God lines it up. All of a sudden, through some circumstances, I meet the guy who's CEO of JCPenney's. And so he's a CEO of this Fortune 500, and they were killing it back in the day. And he and I, he had this other project he was working on, and he asked me, hey, could you help me out on this a little bit? Well, I was honored, and it happened to be in an area I could help a lot, going and assessing a situation, seeing what they needed, seeing if they had the right leadership team. And I was always pretty good at that kind of stuff. So... What happened is he kind of became my friend. Uh, Another big businessman became my friend. And they were the ones that said, why don't you go back and get a master's degree? Uh, You know, you should, you should do this business thing. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's, it's pretty expensive and this stuff. And they said, well, we'll help pay for it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean help? You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, here's a thousand bucks or is it like, uh, and uh, both of them, and this was, you know, a long, long time ago. Uh, they said, both said, well, we'll give you 5000 a semester each. And all oh. of a sudden I'm like, wow, that's some help, you know? Yeah. I, I, I want to go somewhere that has the quarter system. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <Getting> that kind <laughs> of- <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now you're gaming it. <laughs> yeah. So what I did is I started studying and I knew leadership was one of the things I was really interested in, not just in leading something, but uh, doing the type of thing that would help others and help me to step up and take those bigger responsibilities. And so I, I said, I want to get somebody who kind of has that faith perspective that I do as far as they're really good and they care about people, but they're kill it in leadership. And the guy I found uh, who several people said, oh, here's the guy you need. And he was uh, at a place down in Texas. He had a Yale PhD, but that's how he looked at leadership. So uh, I told these guys about this and they said, yeah, go, go for it. And so we moved down there did my master's degree again through these crazy circumstances. I end up interning for the guy and I'm his only intern. And so all of a sudden he and I are traveling together. I get to go to all these incredible things he's doing. He likes me, told you I accidentally discovered I was smart. I ended up, you know, number one in my class in the master's program. And all of a sudden it was almost after that, like, what do you want to do next? You know, the right people now you've got the academic degree go do something. And I did. And so I took a position where I was the youngest VP in a company that was a global company. They had stuff in 22 different countries. And I became the administrative 
executive VP over their home office, which is probably a couple hundred employees there. And then they had other employees that were out around the world and the finance guys, but I, I, I was the one running the ship. And yeah. man, that's what I love to do. That ended up being successful. Those same guys came back eventually and they said, you're killing it now. Way to go. What else do you need? I said, I don't need anything. You know, I was loving life. And they said, well, why don't you go back and you know, get a PhD? And I'm like, you know what? That's so funny because my boss said that and I might someday. And they're like, why not now? And I had decided I don't want to leave this position to do it. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I started saying, what is the highest rated PhD in the United States in leadership where you don't have to move away for two years, where you have to do some residency and some other stuff, but you can do some of it online. And uh, when I found out what it was, I thought I'd never have the GMAT scores to get in there. And uh, so I started studying and I did, and I went there and I'd never said this on a podcast before. And only because you know me, please tell him I'm not some egomaniac, but I ended up number He's one. Not. My, <laughs> I ended up number one, number one in my class in the PhD. And, uh, and it's just because I fell in love with learning, but every single thing I did, Hans, I was applying. I wasn't just going to be smart. I wanted to apply this. And so that's when I started looking at other companies and I had some really, really cool opportunities after that. And including, as you know, uh, working, leading the largest personal development, leadership development firm in the world for John Maxwell and some others. You know, it's, it's interesting because when we talk about leadership, you always think about getting an MBA, being the CEO, being the boss, right? But I've heard you say on multiple occasions, especially since you just brought up the John Maxwell company, how you wanted to expand that curriculum into every country in the world. Right. And you'll either do it or you'll find me, well, find my body well, pointed in that direction, right? That's exactly right. That's what I told John Maxwell. He interviewed me at Pebble Beach. And I said, John, you're in all but 25 countries. Granted, they're the hardest 25 to get into. You're going to die if you go in there. But don't hire me unless you're willing to, to take a shot at that. He said, I'm not sure if it can be done. And that's when I somehow pulled out my famous line that I invented on the spot, but I use it all the time now. And I'm serious. I said, if you hire me, we will either accomplish that or when they find my body, it will be pointed in that direction. And instantly <laughs> he hired me on the spot and he said, get it done in three years. And I'm like, are you kidding? It's taken you 17. You've got all the other ones that are easy, but guess what Hans? All (laughs) that was the converse. That was hundred percent the conversation, but that's the conversation only going on in my head. What Mm -hmm. came out of my mouth was yes, sir. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and I, it was game on. That's right. It was scary (laughs) and great. And, uh, and we got it done and, you know, to bring the entire John Maxwell board, the last country of the world was in the South Pacific. We had saved one little island there that was going to be an easy one to get. We brought those leaders over to Fiji. So we flew all the John Maxwell boarders invited going to Fiji. And we did a week-long celebration. First organization in the history of the world to be inside the borders doing training and stuff in every country of the world. So that's that so was, cool. It was a cool thing. Yeah, it was a cool moment. Congrats on that, of course. But one thing that I'm struck by, especially because we're talking about leadership, Mm -hmm. like I think a lot of people would say by the traditional definition that that is sort of a a paid position. That's not necessarily leadership, right? I mean, you're in charge of a lot and you've got a lot lot of responsibility, but you're out grinding and doing stuff like you're leading almost by doing and by sort of serving. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something that you with the company that we're involved with together, which we'll talk about in a sec 
that you're really good at is the leadership by serving the way that you interact with employees, the way that you interact with the people below and above you. And I'm hoping you can just speak to that for a second, because I, I think it's such a critical mindset when it comes with around the mindset of leadership, but actually mm-hmm. being effective out in the world. Yeah, John Maxwell's written the most effectively in that area. So I'll, I'll steal a little bit from him on this one. He just has a better way to explain it than I used to. And basically, he says, if you have to rely on your title, you are a very weak leader. Mm. And SAT word is that's what's called a titular leader. And, and so it's because of my position, I am the leader. Well, if you need to be in the position to lead, you're not very effective. What about the types of people that you and I both meet in life? And you're like, I will run through a wall for that guy. You know, I don't even know who he is. I just met him, but there's something about him that is authentic and real and challenging and he's going to win. And I want to be a winner too. And so that's the type of leader. And so there's different levels of leadership. The lowest one is leader by your position or leader by your title. And so to me, when I help train young leaders, I have a heart to do that, as you know, through our nonprofit. Mm -hmm. But what I want to do with that more than anything else is help people become the person on the inside who they were meant to be. And here's what's so funny. Like, yeah, but I'm really insecure. Most leaders I've met have some insecurities. We've all have insecurities. It's what are you going to do with those? And the champions are the ones, a very famous leader once said, oh, it's not like I don't have butterflies in my stomach. And this guy was at the top of, in the world at what he was doing. He's mm-hmm. like, it's not what I, I don't have butterflies in my stomach. It's just now all the butterflies fly in formation. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, that's good right there. Yeah. So you as a world-class athlete would know you're still scared before some races or something, but that oh, yeah. fear turns into this sense of, Oh my goodness. It's, it's this kind of stress and energy that's going to help you, you know, perform at your very best. I love the way that's articulated because that's what my freshman coach in college talked about. He's like going up for the national championship race, you know, everyone else lining up on that start line feels exactly the way you feel. They've all trained really hard for this. They're human beings. They've done all the work, basically the same stuff we've done and they want to win just as bad as you do. Now it's just a matter of who can control it. And we always talked about because wow. we, we raced in lanes trying mm-hmm. to get the energy going straight down the race course, right? Because mm-hmm. if it's flying all around in all these different directions, it's energy, but it's not productive. And, and mm-hmm. we're flying in formation. I love that one too, because that's mm-hmm. how I thought about it every time I went on the race course. And I know the times I was effective at that, it was much better than the times that it was just all over the place and had no right. control. Yeah, great illustration. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, fast forward to what you're doing now, you've had all these really cool successes. We alluded a second ago to a company that we're both involved with, but you've got some other things that you do. And frankly, you're a guy who probably doesn't need to work at the moment if you didn't want to, you could do some part-time stuff or some consulting. But I see you obviously several times a week on the project that we're doing together, but always just charging, trying to add value, trying to build and grow Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Like, what are you doing now and, and how do you sustain it? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's very kind. I do see myself in uh, my, my, my son's words. He's like, dad, you are a savage. And I had never <laughs> thought of it in those words, you know, but yeah. to me, yeah, I'm, I'm a savage. We're going to win and I'm going to keep going. And I don't feel this stress. I'm not a guy who's all stressed out. I'm not doing this because I have to, as you mentioned, I'm doing it because I love it. And so after doing a couple of really kind of higher profile, good CEO gigs, 
What I do now is I have a couple of jobs. My number one paying job is I fly out to a different city every Monday, somewhere in the United States or Canada, and I'm in a ballroom with a group of business owners who are thinking about selling their business in the next zero to five years. And I spend seven hours with them. I'm in a suit and a tie and a pocket square and mic'd up and you're in some Ritz Carlton or some nice ballroom, seven hours of sort of an MBA in how to sell your business and get the maximum possible amount that you're going to get. But when our company does that, they do it for free. Everyone there is for free. And we just say, if here's exactly what you have to do, and we give away all of the secrets. This company has helped sell more businesses than any other company in the world 11 years in a row. And wow. we all we do is give away all of our secrets. And, and then we say this, there's some of you who go like, this is the greatest day of my life. Thank you. I get it now. And you're going to walk out of here. And I say, good for you. There's others who say, this is the greatest day of my life. I know I can't do that because I don't have the hours to invest. Is there any possible chance we could work with your company? That would be hard because we're pretty selective, but talk to the gentleman back there and mm -hmm. well, let's see if it's a fit. And so they get to self-select in. I don't have to sell anything. All I have to do is be motivational and tell the truth. And I get to hold the attention of business owners for seven hours in a row in a ballroom. You better be you know, on top of your game. So that's the challenge for me. I love doing that. But think about this. I get home on Wednesdays. My work week is over. Yeah. Right. And so now I've got all this free time to do these other things that I love, but I love doing that too. I just have yeah. a life that I love. And so that's uh, the business that we're in. I do that. I also do some pretty high level executive coaching and consulting with larger C-suite professionals when they have an office and they think, I know we can be better, but we're not hitting on all cylinders. And it's usually what we call an organizational alignment problem. And that's some heady stuff. You got to know what you're doing. But when you get it right, all of a sudden, well, I'll, I'll just tell you, the best call I got last year was on Christmas Eve, a CEO. I looked down, my phone's ringing, his name's on there. I mean, I'm thankful just to know this guy, right? But I got to go yeah. in and do a big project for their company. Why is he calling me on Christmas Eve? And I thought, oh, no, we just put this new leadership in place. Did one of the guys die? What's up, right? Yeah. I go, hey, Ryan, is everything okay? And he goes, hey, yeah, Dr. Rob, hey, real quick. I just wanted to tell you, you gave me my life back. And mm -hmm. I started crying. And he's like, yeah, that's good. I got to go click. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, oh, social pro, you know, and stuff. But that's why oh, I do what I do for those types of phone calls. And then right now, this thing that we have going, I'm probably as excited about that as I have been any business I've been in in the last four or five years. Our company, it's called Streamlined Podcast. And you can go to Streamline Podcast. There's an S, it's plural on podcast.com. I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But we have four guys. We're all co-owners. I hate to borrow this word from you because it's really true in your situation, but these guys are champions. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I love these guys on a, on a one to 10. They're all 12. So it makes me raise my game. Plus, I'm older than all you guys. So the old dude's got to bring it, baby. I got to yeah. show up. <laughs> like we talk about all the time, help podcasters keep podcasting and deliver the highest value of any post-production company in the industry. Obviously, this show is produced by us. We're growing fast and we, we aim to provide more value than anybody else at a, you know, affordability, blah, blah, blah. We can talk to you about that later. Go in the show notes if you want. But yeah, it's it's driven by a desire to serve, kind of like what we've talked about earlier, you know, mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. somebody who can 
just kill it over deliver be a nine and a 10 for somebody else and give you some time back give you your life back and, and mm -hmm. show you that it doesn't always have to mean that you stay up till 3 a.m trying to figure out in this case id3 tagging and uploading and blah 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 right you can really outsource this at a very high level and, and get time back in your life and your business yeah and for us to do it and have built a team that they love working there and we love them and so it's almost, do we get to bless our employees more or do they bless us more? Oh, and, totally. Uh, yeah, just one small thing. I don't even know if, if you saw it today. Uh, somebody reached out because they are on our website and they saw, here's some of the shows we produce. So they reached out to the CEO of one of those shows and said, hey, I'm thinking about using these guys. Would you just give me the straight scoop? She goes, are you kidding me? This is fantastic. Look at all this time it saved me. It's wonderful. And uh, earlier today, that person signed up $300 a month because they got this huge package, right? Mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. anywhere else that package would have cost them a thousand bucks. Oh yeah. And with us, they're paying 300 and we're about to give them their life back. I yeah. mean, how fun is that? We get to over deliver and, uh, and add value to people and have fun doing it. So it's a win-win all the way around. Absolutely. I mean, I was really excited when I saw those messages come through earlier today. So thank you for bringing that up. This has been really awesome. We're getting to the end of the time here and I wanna make sure that I respect the rest of your day. Uh, so I that. am gonna transition us to the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Let's go. First question is what book have you recommended or gifted most often? Leader's Legacy by Kuzas and Posner. They've done unbelievable research and it's a super easy read. And if you're saying, where do you even start? You'll cry in chapter three and by chapter five, you're like, that's it. I'm going to have a better life. That's awesome. If you could get an hour of someone's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? It's a toss up between Winston Churchill and Martin Luther King. And uh, both of them, because the time that they were in is what called them to greatness. But everyone else stepped away from greatness. They stepped into it. There's something mm. about that. I want to be like that. And besides that, uh, Winston Churchill, he didn't have much of a filter. And so he said <laughs> some things that you're like, oh my goodness, he shouldn't have said that, but he said it anyway. And yeah. I just want to go give him a high five. <laughs> what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Well, that is an awesome question. I think it is that the more you intend to help and add value to others, the more it's going to add value back to you in the long run. Mm -hmm. uh, people say, I don't want to do that. There's not a return on it. You go help a bunch of people and then try to fail. You can't, they won't let you fail. Yeah, absolutely. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? Yeah, I'm an early riser, and I think that's more of a uh, old man prostate issue than it is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I did do my annual physical. My doc says, dude, you cleaned out health. You're killing it. And I said, I, I appreciate it, but I am going to the bathroom more in the middle of the night. And he's like, stop. There's nothing we can do. Welcome to being 60. And I'm like, I'm only 59, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I get up early. I like getting up early. Uh, first thing I do is I spend what I call a quiet time, 20 to 30 minutes, just getting the stuff into me that's important in life, reminding myself who I am, and then I'm going to bring it today. And then I go right to the Wall Street Journal, read the whole thing. And then I go to two or three different online sources, Harvard Business Review, Wharton, Stanford, some things like that. And I see any research 
books that came out overnight. There's usually four or five things each, and I'm only scanning that quickly to see what might be interesting to my listeners on Leader Tribe. And I always have this great storage of things that I can talk about and get excited about. And just a little clue for your listeners, and this might be the best thing they hear me say. I uh, created my own email address. It's called leadertribeideas at gmail.com. Anything that I see anywhere, anytime, then I'm like, oh, that's a good one. All I do is forward it to that email address, period. Mm. Now I've got to go do 20 episodes. All I do is I go back in there and I say, okay, there was something about everything in here that kind of, you know, turned me on. And I go, oh, it's, and it's all in one place and it's great source material. So one of the way I organize my life is by making a Gmail account for the different parts of my life that I, I need to know where that information is. And that's been very helpful to me. That's a killer hack. I love it. Yeah, thanks. Rob, this has been awesome. We're still working on your Instagram status, but uh, where, where can people find you online? <laughs> He's only busting on me because I am by far the least technical of all of us. And uh, one of our good friends, Kevin, was really killing me on a podcast we were doing the other day on that. And all I did is I said, yeah, I know. That's why I hire people like you. And it was the end, <laughs> end of the conversation. So it was fun. Yeah. But of all my email addresses out there, my different companies and businesses, the one that I respond to personally every time is anything that just comes to rob at leadertribe.com. That one, no uh, assistant will respond to it. No one else sees it. And everything that I get in there, I respond personally. Awesome. Well, rob at leadertribe.com. It's down in the show notes, guys. You can connect. You can find out about Rob's podcast. Uh, you can find out about Streamlined and some of the other stuff that we've going on together and he's got going on himself. So go check out the show notes because it's all there. Rob, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. Great value. Great story. Is there anything else that you can wrap us up with? Yeah, you can be your best self and whatever lies you've believed that have said you have to settle for second best. Just remember, those are lies and you can still do it. You might as well. It's a short life. Live it to your very best. And with that, we're going to cut it. So thanks, Rob, and have a good rest of your day. All right. Much love. Talk to you later. And that does it for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you got value out of that and want to connect with Rob a little bit more, um, head down into the show notes. His personal email is down there and I promise you he responds to it. He's also got a fantastic podcast leader tribe your daily dose of growth which is a daily podcast where he tells everybody everything that he knows about leadership and you're going to find value over there so go subscribe and leave him a review because that would be awesome and he would appreciate it so obviously if you're getting value out of this show i would really appreciate a review as well so head over to itunes or whatever podcast player you're listening on and do that for me real quick i'd really appreciate it so thanks in advance for that we're going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. <laughs>